It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. And welcome listeners to Hard Hats and High Viz, the election edition of the two Jacks featuring Jack the Insider. That's me. And Hong Kong Jack. G'day, Jack. How are you today? Great, mate. How are you? Good? Oh, very well. I am free of COVID, and I hope that you are too. But yeah, I'm Anthony, absolutely I'm... COVID-free. I've got my magic traditional Chinese medicine in any event. Well, I forgot about that. That's mm. keeping you in good stead. It but is. Uh, you might have slung them across. I haven't opened well. it yet. <laughs> well, well, you might have slung them across to uh, Anthony Albanese last week Should've. because he's got COVID and he is out of the election campaign for a week. Uh, is that going to be a good thing or a bad thing for Labor? This is a bit like the concussion protocols in the AFL, isn't it? You know, you, 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 you've got to do a week on the park. Ski, he's got to do a week. He's been yeah. suspended for a week. So good thing or bad, does it allow Albanese to reset after a pretty shaky week one and maybe a little bit of a recovery from week two? Yeah, they're probably going to be giving him some some fresh media training or something while he's having the week off. But look, uh, Labor's been going fine without him. Um, uh, yesterday, I saw Jason Clare give a, 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 a sort of a doorstop press conference, and I think I think I was told he would, that this bloke was a rising star back in about two thousand five or two thousand six, and he was very very good yesterday. Yeah, look, he's very good on Friday too when the issue of uh, the Chinese Solomon's security pact was raised. His uh, the Labor deputy, Richard Miles, had an absolute shocker, but Claire came out and seemed to tidy it up fairly well. Miles continues to have a shocker, by the way, but um, but Claire is going very, very well. He's a good style of bloke and, um, and he speaks very, very well. And, and he has a great way of... Um, uh, if, a, if a question, particularly the questions were put to him about the Solomon's Chinese Pact, uh, and he was able to just dismiss them and, and talk about something uh, something that he did want to talk about. And he was he was following the playbook we set out last week. He was not talking about the things he shouldn't be talking about, mm-hmm. but he was pushing the government on the key issue, which is that they have run out of puff, that they are a government who yeah. started to make mistakes because they've just run out of puff. And that's absolutely going to determine the election, and he was pushing hard on it. It was a really good performance. Yes, he certainly, and certainly you will think we'll be finding a lot more camera time over the next few weeks. He will. Um, Chris, Chris Barn, on the other hand, who I think has been a, been a bit of a rising star as well, uh, he didn't follow the playbook. He was talking about 80% renewables by 2030 and all that sort of stuff, and I'm thinking this is just a losing issue for Labor again. Well, it's not um, even Labor policy. No, no, no. So what's he doing there? I mean, he's a, look, he's a smart bloke, Chris, as you he say. Um, uh, was shadow treasurer uh, and, uh, and, and did come up with uh, all the reforms that uh, ultimately got knocked off in 2019. So, uh, look, I know he's a smart operator, but why is he getting into the weeds on that subject there when it's not even Labor policy? And it's just not a. It, ha, it was a losing issue for them in two two elections in a row. He seems determined to make it a third. <laughs> yeah. So, but look beyond that. So, so with with in, with the absence of Albanese, and he look, he did do a virtual a virtual speech, uh, and that was pretty good. Yeah, it wasn't bad at all. Um, so he's not, you know, he, he, he's not in witness protection, um, but he's just not getting out and about. And on a uh, and on a sombre day like today, we're recording on Anzac Day. Um, you know, he won't be doing those uh, in-camera things, uh, putting reasons at the cenotaph and those sorts of bipartisan things that uh, political leaders do during a campaign uh, or outside of a campaign as well, of course. Um, but it does put a focus on Labor's front bench. And so we've seen some good performances and others uh, don't look so flash. Is that a? I mean, Albanese's always going to be a team player anyway, isn't he? He says he's going to be like Hawke and a consensus man and all that sort of stuff, which indicates you know, he'll rely on the talent of his front bench. 
Um, you know, early days, besides Claire, how have they looked? Yeah, they're going okay, I think, but it'll be patchy. You know, some of them are, will be thrust into a spotlight they're not ready for or, ne- or, or don't have the talent for, um, yeah. and others will go okay. It's interesting yeah. they have moved away from a few things. John Ruddock is a pretty fair pundit. Uh, he was talking about the ALP. Uh, have stopped talking about the Catherine Deves issue in Warringah, you know, about whether she's transphobic or whatever. He says that uh, that's all come to a grinding halt and he suspects that's because the ALP focus groups have told them this is a losing issue for you guys, don't talk about it. Well, yeah, we talked about this last week too and and that I would believe that it's not a great vote winner for, for either side. Um, and and uh, so once Morrison... Uh, came out in support of Deves, the uh, Warringah candidate that uh, uh, had these uh, disclosures made about some of her remarks, which weren't all that pleasant uh, on social media that she'd scrubbed and was still discovered. Um, you know, Morrison, we, we talked about perhaps playing, his messaging was perhaps playing to Western Sydney into marginal seat like uh, in, in, in the West like Reed, But... Um, uh, He's also losing votes in Wentworth, you know. He's also losing votes in McKellar when he when he does these things. So it's best, I would think, for both of them not to get caught in the weeds on this. Yeah, look, I, I, I sort of think you've got to let, let the independent seats fall where they may a little bit now. Nothing much he's going to say is going to make much difference there. So um, he's probably, you know, my calculation would be he's probably right. Have a crack at winning some seats elsewhere. Yeah, we'll get on to the independence in depth shortly. Yep. Um, did you see the uh, the leaders' debate? I saw bits and pieces. Of it. It, came, it came on at an inconvenient hour here in Hong Kong. Um, <laughs> what time was it? About, I think about seven thirty our time yeah. uh, here. Yeah. So uh, may have been while you were uh, while you were enjoying uh, Hong Kong's extended trading house. Uh, it Hong could Kong's well have been during that time. Uh, so I saw yes. a bit of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I don't think there was much to take away from it. Uh, I think both leaders performed reasonably well. Um, um, but uh, one thing that I, I, I thought that the, the questions put by those present, the so-called undecided voters, were actually really good questions for candidates, uh, for, 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 for leaders, political leaders. So, you know, they the sort of social uh, concerns like uh, uh, there was... Uh, uh, a, a, a woman who had uh, a, a child with autism, which uh, ran into the NDIS and some of the funding issues that have arisen there. There were uh, small business people getting up and talking about what incentives, what encouragement, in fact, what discouragements would be would be gotten rid of that, that arose during the pandemic to allow them to uh, to, to allow these small business operators to uh, to get back to some sort of uh, uh, prosperity, uh, and then I found that it was all just sort of dominated by the Sky News bloke, um, and you know, and that the punters weren't given enough questions. Uh, and then we moved onto a debate about the Solomons and Chinese pact. Now that, that they weren't questions from the floor, they were they were questions from from the Sky News journalist. Uh, I still personally personally I doubt the the people asking the questions would care that much about the Solomons at the moment. Perhaps they should, but they don't. Foreign affairs well, has never foreign affairs has never yeah. really been a yeah, winning yeah, or that's, losing. That's, that's the old axiom that foreign affairs don't won't get you one vote vote one, you know. Mm. But but maybe there's other things at work here. Is it a question of competence? Um, allowing uh, the, I, I don't know what the, what the government was expected to do other than perhaps make higher level representations to the Solomons than they did. Um, uh, to stop this, uh, to stop this uh, pact, this treaty, uh, or pact with uh, with with the Chinese Chinese government. No, I don't. I, I personally, I don't think there's a hell of a lot they could have done much differently. Um, but but I, but I agree, they don't come out looking very competent. But then, nor does Labor. No, well, we, well, firstly, we had the question about Morrison. Did you pick up the phone? Because an Australian PM should be. That's the yeah. first thing. Right, that's mm. the first thing that should be done, and he did the, you know, I don't use a phone, mate. You know, it was mm. it was pretty poor, and then along came Richard Miles with, 
uh, with just a little bit of d- digging done by Shari Markson at the Australian, most of it, that showed that uh, Miles had um, uh, uh, referred to uh, uh, these sorts of arrangements between South Pacific nations and the PRC um, being uh, not something that Australians really should be terribly concerned about uh, and that we basically need to compete against the Chinese for uh, for uh, for this kind of, um, uh, uh, for advantage or for alliances in the South Pacific. And then it all turned out that uh, he'd made a couple of speeches of that order while he was on a, uh, a, a, a trip funded to China, trip funded by a Chinese or PRC think tank. Worse than that, I think, um, uh, she says that he showed the speech to the Chinese government yes. before he made it. Yes, yes. What do you think of that? You know, it, well, get you the know, red pen out. No, I mean, I mean, just get the red pen out, and we don't like this. We don't. Oh, sorry, sorry, sir. Well, yeah, it doesn't look doesn't look good at all. No, it doesn't. So, so I don't really see that the, the Solomon's issue being much of a determinant in the election. It, it, whilst we're, I think it's important. It's an important issue, but is it going to, to change the election? No, I don't think it does. No, no, but I think it does come to a question of competence. And in uh, and under under both both ordeals, both trials by ordeal, uh, uh, both uh, the coalition and Labor have looked pretty ordinary. Yeah, they both lose on that one. Yeah, they, and they, uh, before we get and that drags us into our independence. But before we do that, we wanted to talk. I mean, basically, I made the mistake. Well, it wasn't a mistake, but I, I, I wondered if Morrison was going to go to WA. Well. The or whether he was going to draw the Brisbane, turned up there, or whether he was going to draw the Brisbane line, but no, he, he, he decided he. <laughs> well, in a in a uh, an act of impertinence, he turned up there the following day, uh, the sandbag, um, uh, uh, Pierce, and uh, what's the other seat there, Jack? Um, uh, sandbagging Pierce and not Curtin because that's the one that is now Curtin's in play. Ju- Curtin's Julie Bishop's old seat, isn't it? Yeah, Curtin is Julie Bishop's old seat. I'll just quickly go to it. Um, and uh, yeah, where, where Labor is Swan and Pierce is where Labor is favoured, fairly heavily favoured to win. So he went, he was there last week sandbagging. We said that he may not go to Western Australia, but there he was. Now, Jack, it would seem that there's another coalition seat in play. And as you say, that's Julie Bishop's old seat, currently held or currently the current sitting member is Celia Hammond, the Liberal. Uh, and that's the seat of Curtin. But it's not Labor that's on her case. It's the one of the Climate 200 independents. Uh, and in fact, I'm, I've been instructed by the Climate 200 independents not to refer to them. I've been instruct, instructed by Jim Middleton from Climate 200 not to refer to them as Climate 200 independents. Is Jim the party spokesman, is he? Well, he is. He's the media guy now. Um, he's quite a nice fellow, Jim. But he, he basically rang me up to say how this works is that these are independents who have risen independently in their own communities and then they have sought... Uh, Climate 200 financial backing. And uh, once uh, Climate 200 do their due diligence and find out that the person's fairly genuine, won't run off for the money, uh, then uh, they uh, feature the imprimatur of Climate 200 along with a nice chunk of change to assist with their campaigns. So So Jim would be the party media spokesman if they had a party. Uh, It's not a party. Jack, yeah, it's okay, not a party. Right, yeah. It's an activist group uh, that supports uh, supports uh, uh, a number of candidates who have arisen independently. Yeah, okay. Uh, in in their communities. So yes, I, I received a bit of a uh, reproach from Jim about that. But um, <coughs> excuse me, we are looking at uh, some fairly major resetting of our, of our electoral behaviour at the moment. I would think. Um, I'm getting the sense that we will have as many as nine and possibly ten Climate 200 independents, I'll call them that, Uh, and that's with the four sitting who will be re-elected plus another six, and that includes uh, the possibility of, uh, of Curtin going independent. 
Well, the, well, the gossip around the former advisor community with whom I still retain some contact, a former political advisor community, and this is from people who've advised Liberal and Labor uh, you know, governments, uh, the consensus seems to be where everyone thinks it's going to be a home parliament. That's exactly what I'm hearing uh, as well. Um, we're also, I, I have some contact with the independent group of the Climate 200 independents and, and, and people who are sort of advocating and helping out with campaigns there. They are thinking... They are thinking that they will succeed probably in an extra six seats. Um, all of them, I think, from the coalition and blue ribbon, and unlikely to win them back in a hurry. Uh, so you get with your two party affiliated cross benches. That's presuming Catter wins, and Catter will win. He wouldn't win if Labor didn't preference him, but uh, they do all the time. So he'll win again, and Adam Bant will will win Melbourne. Um, so uh, with another 10, that's 12 on the cross benches, and that makes it very hard for a majority government. Mm. I, I think I don't think we'll get that, that, that many, but we'll get enough to. I think it's the hung parliament is probably likely now, yeah. Okay, so look, we had a there's been a few people ruminating about this in the media. Uh, Peter Van Onsel and uh. Uh, wrote a piece saying um, uh, if the and coalition... And he's a professor at something, isn't he? And he's a professor of Australian politics. Oh, dear, oh, dear. So, well, just, just a little bit of hush while I read, uh, while I read his important uh, announcement here. If, however, the coalition doesn't win enough seats to govern in its own right, and neither does Labor, Morrison will be forced to go cap in hand to the crossbench pleading for their support, as will Abbott Albanese. I'll keep going. It's a fairly long piece. Um, but uh, he goes on to say, in this election campaign could be quickly followed by another one without Parliament even sitting. But that could backfire on the major parties, delivering more, not fewer, Crossbench, good grammar, by the way. Not, not fewer crossbench MPs if voters are really sick and tired of the major parties. It sounds messy, PBO says, but it's not. It's called democracy. But that's not quite how a hung parliament works, is it? No, you, I would have thought that a professor of Australian politics and a bloke who's a national political pundit would have had a better handle on how hung parliaments actually work than that. Well, tell me what happens. You tell me. Well, you tell me well, what happens in the event of a hung pile. We have, we've had, is it, these have been going on for a long, long time, right back through the history of the Westminster system. But we have two recent examples, 20, both in 2010 in Australia and in the UK. Both mm. elections returned hung parliaments. And a hung parliament is when neither major political grouping gets to the magic number in Australia of 76, the majority in the House of Representatives. Yes. And in that situation, what actually happens is that it depends on who can cobble together some numbers. Now, sometimes you can make a coalition, and that's what happened in the UK, that David Cameron uh, from the Conservatives and Nick Clegg from the Liberal Democrats signed an agreement that they would form a coalition. So between them, they then had a majority. So Gordon Brown... The Prime Minister had to go to the Queen and resign and advise her to call on David Cameron and Nick Clegg to form a government. That's that's the Westminster system in a nutshell. That's exactly how it but works. But it's very easy when you are able to coalesce with a with Yes, a that's because party. there was two parties so that mm. they were able to have an agreement between the Conservative Party and the Liberal Democrat Party. We're not going to be in that situation here oh. because there's not going to be two parties who could weld together to form a coalition to make the majority. So in, so in, in Australia in 2010, um, uh, Julia Gillard was the Prime Minister and um, she didn't have a majority and no one else had a majority. What she could have done was go to the Governor-General and say... Um, I can uh, form a government. This is the situation, but my advice to you is that I can form a government and that I'm confident that I will have the confidence of the House... Um, and be able to secure supply. And the Governor-General would have said, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. And the Governor-General would have um, uh, commissioned a new Gillard government. Yes. And there it didn't no really need this uh, 
uh, sign on the dotted line type uh, coalition of convenience with the Greens, would it? No, no, because the advantage of the incumbency, the advantage of being the Prime Minister is that you get first crack at forming a government Yeah. if no one else has got a majority. And, and, and in the event of um, uh, a, um, a rejection of supply bills, but more likely... Um, a no-confidence motion. A no-confidence motion being put. Well, firstly, you can't do that every afternoon, can you, in the Parliament? No, you can't. The, 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 the speaker, speaker just won't entertain a daily no-confidence motion. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and so uh, it would have relied upon the Greens uh, uh, in, the, in the House to continue to provide that support to the as soon as as soon as that as soon as that uh, motion is uh, it, it, it fails if, if if Gillard had failed those numbers then that is the end of that government but, but it has the, to but, but it has to be a no confidence motion it can't just be a defeat on on some other on legislation. Pre- not in procedural no, matters, no. no so so but it, or, if or even on substantial legislation you could lose substantial legislation but you don't lose the government unless it's a no confidence motion yes yeah, so so i guess the point i'm trying to make in a rather long long-winded way is that it, basically it would have relied upon the greens to say we're going to continue to support this government because the alternative would be that the coalition is installed as, as yeah. a government yeah. Or that we go to the election, and you know, uh, and, and and we do it all over again, and and that remains, as PVO mentioned in his article, that remains the case, doesn't it? That 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 let's say, well, you've got you've got two on two party affiliates. They'll go one. They'll go. You know, Catter will either Catter will go with the coalition, and Bant will go with Labor. So. Mm. So that's split already. Then we've got the four on the cross benches plus, well, let's say... Half a dozen. Yeah, yeah, another half a dozen. Let's say. One of those might be, in Fowler, by the way, a non-Climate 200 independent who knocks off Christina Canale. Um, And that's on the cards. Now, these other Climate 200 independents, Jack, I'm reliably informed by Climate 200 that they will deal with this individually, that they will um, uh, make their own decisions and that there is nothing that binds them together to to act as a block or you know, nominally a party on the cross benches, that they'll all make up their own minds depending on uh, what's presented to them by um, the coalition or, or, or by Labor. So the probability, which, so probability which seems to sort of defeat the whole purpose of this of the, the climate two hundred. The probability is if, if if we get a hung parliament, that Scott Morrison will remain prime minister, that he will be commissioned to form another government. Yep. Because Labor won't have a, a party to um, make it a coalition agreement with, um, in the same way that say um, uh, David Cameron and Nick Clegg could. Um, so Morrison will get first crack at it. He will be commissioned to form a government. He won't recommend to the Prime Minister, to the Governor-General, that we go back to an immediate election because he'd get slaughtered if he does that. Absolutely. Um, um, so the chances of... of, of Peter Van Onselen, I think, is incorrect in this. The chances of there being another election without a new government being formed are almost nil. Yes, so he would muddle on... With yep. the support of, and he would only need well. Let's say he gets seventy. He needs six. He needs he needs six from the cross benches. He's already got one. In the case of Catter, he could rely perhaps on another independent plus another four to, to defeat. I mean, he'll be beaten on the he'll be beaten in procedural matters routinely, but yep. he will should he may well be able to get across the line in terms of confidence. Yes, that's exactly right. And no one's going to be in a, in a rush to push the no-confidence motion because you can't do it all that often. And if you, it's, it's the old story. If you're, going to, if you're going to attack the king, you must kill him. So Labor aren't going to push the no-confidence motion yeah. unless they're pretty damn sure it's going to win. Yeah, you're not, you're not going to do this every day. You need a trigger for this. You need yeah. something, you know, some form of disgrace or scandal, uh, some messiness. Uh, some new disgrace or scandal. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so there's plenty of old ones to go through, yeah. but it would need to be a, a fairly new 
matter. And um, and, and then that... Yes, that, because pe- people aren't going to want to go back out and vote again. They're not going to want the expense and inconvenience of another election campaign. There needs so to be a, a serious justification exactly right. for doing yes. it. And, and, this, and this, this is why we're doing this. This is why, and, and, and not least yeah. of all, because that's your best chance, or that's would be yeah. Labor's best chance of exactly getting the right. support of the majority of crossbenchers to get that motion up. Yeah. All right. So yes, Pete uh, Van Oslem is right. It is messy. Well, it sounds messy. Well, it's just messy it's in a messy. different way. It that is, he thinks it, it's messy. It's, <laughs> it's it's called democracy. Look, look, most governments in Europe are doing this on a daily basis, Jack. There is, that, that, that's exactly right. And there are plenty of examples in history of minority governments governments muddling on for quite some time. I did hear from a, um, a sitting uh, coalition MP um, who's facing a challenge from uh, from the uh, climate two hundred from one of the climate two hundred independents, uh, and he said, "Look, he asked me. He said, what do you think? Do you think, um, you know, if we.'" Uh, don't drop too many, and and, uh, and and the climate 200 sort of campaign across the board is a bit repudiated, and and so forth. Do you think that's the end of it? And I said, well, this seems to be a global uh, a global trend in in Western democracies that majority governments are rarer than minority ones. Um, mm. We have to look beyond the United States, where Congress is it is messy. Um, but messy in a sort of bipartisan way. Well, it was but, designed to be messy in the United States. Yeah, yeah, that's right, and it constantly is. But in, in Western democracies throughout Europe, um, uh, minority governments are, <coughs> are the standard. And, uh, mm. and, and I think, and I'd have to check this, but I, my belief is that Malta uh, is, the only, um, is the only country with a majority government in Europe. So I think we're headed down that's that not, path. That, that's not many people. There are more Maltese in Melbourne than there are in Melbourne. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it's a very small island. But, but look, you know, it's a, it's a fairly stunning statistic. That And, and, and having said what I have to check, it, it was the case uh, two or three years ago, and I haven't seen Maltese election results since. Um, but um, um, it, it does show that trend, and I think we're headed towards that trend now. Uh, and we're just going to have to be adult about it. Our politicians are going to have to be a bit adult about it and deal with it. Politics is nothing, is if nothing else, the art of negotiation. Part, part of the reason this is happening, and not just in Australia, around the world, is is that the political spectrum's sort of been turned on its head a bit. It doesn't make as much sense as it used to because the gap now really seems to be between in COVID terms, between the laptop class and the people who bring you stuff. Yes, and we saw that today. I mean, look, just breaking away from from Australia just for a moment, although we had been talking about Macron won, votes I think are still being counted, but 58-42. Um, Which is a, a lot closer than last time. It is. It is. It's definitely closer. But you would think it is still a significant sixteen yeah. point margin, and that would probably be the end of Le Pen. But but a but a very low turnout and a lot of spoiled, yeah, what, and a lot of spoiled votes. A lot of um, so a lot of discontent. I would say. Yeah, comes from that. And, and, and so it, it may not be the ringing endorsement that uh, that uh, Macron would like us to believe. And it does reflect this um, trend across uh, democracies more generally that we do have this growing divide that what was once you would expect to be the left is now on the right and they are sort of blue-collar working-class stock who believe in a lot of right-wing or conservative tropes against the um, now um, more leftist or progressive uh, wealthy classes. Well, the progressive, the progressive parties around the world have now become the party of the professional people and the urban, the well-off urban people, um, and the and the conservative parties around the world are tending to pick up votes from rural um, and working class people. So that's been tipped on its head to some extent. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's just been completely flipped. The sort of truisms of politics post World War Two have sort of been flipped on their head. 
Yep. Uh, and we've seen it in the States. We've seen it with Brexit. We've seen it... Uh, and we saw a bit of it today, albeit on the other side <clears throat> of the line uh, with Macron's re-election, which is all of it's very predictable. But but what we're seeing there is is trends, and we're starting to see it in Australia now with people who live on the North Shore and the eastern suburbs of Sydney, some of the wealthiest people in the country, you know, by average or median income and and, and assets and whatever you like, are now trending towards more progressive politics. Um, they call them uh, uh, they call them tree ind- tree independents. I think is the is the or tree Tories. I think that's right. So they're, they're called tree Tories. I think um, uh, in a sort of dismissive way, but that's changed quite dramatically. Meanwhile, we and there is some- white and there is white as snow. <laughs> these are these electorates. Um, they're not very multicultural at all. Well, on the other side, where 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 there is sort of a lot of multiculturalism, you are seeing more conservative, social conservatism mm. come to the fore. So it's going to make <laughs> going to make the going to make the major parties more unlikable or more uh, un, 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 unsupportable than, than than is than is the case. I mean, than is than has been the case. So this trend away from the major parties is going to continue and probably accelerate. Yeah, could well. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting, right. isn't it? But but they are, these are um, uh, middle class areas or upper middle class areas with upper middle class concerns, um, uh, and, but they're well off and they're white. Well, they've got homes for a start, Jack. You know, they own their own homes. That's, that's, that's the big thing. I mean, that, that you know, particularly... Uh, out, in, out in the suburbs and even in the inner west and places like that in Sydney, you know, young people are saying, well, I'll never, I'll never be able to reach that great Australian dream of, of home ownership. That's one issue there, just, just alone, because the price of, price of, uh, price of property here is, is becoming almost Hong Kongian, Jack. It is, isn't it? It's a bit different to the, um, the 1970s and the 80s in Melbourne and Sydney where you could just about buy your first house on a couple of credit cards. Yeah. And people did. Now we get to the polls. Um, there's not a lot of new polling around uh, and I, I presume uh, our news poll and reserve are being held over for Anzac Day and, and will be released tomorrow. We're recording Anzac Day, as I said before, um, just a reminder, when we talk about this diminished support for the major parties, we've got Labor 36 in the news poll and uh, the Coalition 35. Well, that's 71 between them. And that's uh, and that, that points to a record low uh, mm. if uh, transferred to actual voting behaviour. But we have seen uh, Essential, uh, which does some very good uh, issues-based polling. Um, all of it's online and... I know people sort of raise an eyebrow whenever you talk about online polling, but um, and it's at a very high level of sophistication and it's pretty reliable. Um, uh, Essential has Albanese. They don't have a, a primary vote count or a 2PP uh, vote count in their latest polling, but they have Albanese plus two in, in approval. And that was really uh, taken not long after his horror week. Uh, Morrison <clears throat> down two to negative two. That's just approval ratings. They're pretty much just you know the same level of approval and, and disapproval, just with a couple of points either way. But Morrison is preferred PM by four points. Uh, <clears throat> so also of interest, Jack, in in that uh, same poll, the same essential poll, uh, is voting intention in terms of. Not which, not which political party you follow, but how you're going to do it, what day. And 38% say they'll vote on the day, and his election day. Uh, a, a total of 45% say they'll either vote postal or pre-poll. I think it was 22 and 23, respectively. Uh, 12 are unsure, and 4% say <laughs> like you, they're not going to vote. Yeah, uh, they might be like me. They might be off the rails. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, or, or maybe they'll take the fine. 
maybe they'll uh, get a little letter in the mail from the AAC saying, uh, please explain. But, yeah, that's sort of getting us up towards that 50%, aren't we, you know, pre-polling? Yeah, well, it almost certainly be 50% if it's 45 with 12 with unsure. Yeah, um, with uh, 12 you, unsures, yeah. Yeah, you're going to get 50%. Well, I, I, I'm still old-fashioned about this. I'd rather people voted on the day, but, you know, um, you can't stop progress, I suppose. Well, one of the problems that it does cause is that, you, particularly in a close election, this one's bound to be, is you're not going to get a result on the night because the postals won't be counted because there's a lag in terms of yep. the final numbers, the final postals being received. Uh, not all of them will be through on election a day, and and they do allow for some pre-poll counting, but only after the in-person votes are counted first. So the old traditional Don's parties, mate, where at least you find out who's won and lost, they might be a thing of the past too. They might be. I also think it's a trust issue. Um, uh, people trust the voting and the counting on the day. Yes, I, I think that's... The only, the only way you can get around, you can't start counting postals because they're not complete. I mean, you could start mm. counting them, I suppose, but you're not going to get a complete count of postal. So the, so the only way to do this is to encourage them to count the pre-polls first. Not the postals, but the pre-poll in-person votes first. But they don't do that. They're, they're, they're counting the ones that have, that have been received. So, yeah, you, we, we're almost certainly not going to get a result on election night. I'll, I'll, I'll tip that. I'll tip mm. that for a certainty. Uh, <clears throat> and um, while I while we talk about uh, certainty, so we have to move on to the betting markets where there's been no, no change, Jack. I mean, Labor has blown out from about a dollar, I think a dollar thirty initially, uh, three yeah. or four weeks back, with the coalition at I think they're three fifty. Now a buck seventy and two two ten, and there's virtually no change in the head to head or. Or in that in that market, or or, or in the uh, the seat betting markets. I mean, I, I watch these things fairly closely. If anything, a slight shift to the coalition in terms of those uh, coalition held marginals, slight shift, but really nothing, uh, really nothing there. The money has come in for a hung parliament in from two sixty to two twenty five. Uh, that might be uh, better than even money. That might be worth a lash. I think that it will come in even further as we go. And uh, interestingly, the Libs remain tepid favourites against those against the Indies in those seats um, we think uh, are, are at risk. Kuyong, Goldstein, Wentworth, McKellar, North Sydney, etc. Is that because Indies don't bet, Jack? Uh, it could be. Um, uh, it could be that the markets are missing something. Um, or uh, you know, I was talking before about you know people I'm in contact with who who, uh, who are pretty certain there's going to be a hung parliament. To be fair, a hell of a lot of them were wrong last time as well. So you never know. Well, yeah. um, I think it was sports better who paid out on a on a um, on a short and went on the Friday before <laughs> before election day. Uh, and uh, I think they were, uh, Labor were, oh, crikey, about a dollar fourteen, um, and got smashed. So, not the first time it's happened. I think that whoever had a bet on Trump in twenty sixteen would have done quite well, as um, as would have been the case with Brexit, which I think was about two two forty, um, two forty yeah, for a successful uh, referendum. I met a I met a, a British bloke here in Hong Kong who told me um, before uh, the Brexit thing that he was going to take the Brexit Trump double. Oh, the double, yeah. Well, that would have paid pretty well. And, and I think I there was a trifecta, isn't? I can't remember what it was. It might have actually yeah. been. And, 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 I, and I said to him, "Well, that's I said to him, that that's going to be pretty juicy odds. Um, what makes you think that everyone's gotten it wrong?" Um, and he says. That's because in the UK and the US in particular, the media are concentrated in London, in the UK, and in the US on the, on the two coasts and in Washington, D.C., and they neither like nor care about nor listen to the people who are going to decide these votes who are not in London and the, on the coasts 
and in Washington DC. Yeah, look, that was one of the criticisms too. Uh, people didn't really understand the uh, the sort of shift towards Trump <coughs> on that same basis. The, what we're seeing with these independents, these Climate 200 independents, Jack, is perhaps for the first time in a long time, the big cities are going to be deciding the outcomes of elections, or perhaps um, more than they have been in the past. Well, look, there was a time uh, when you and I were young fellas, uh, uh, the, the inner Melbourne seats uh, in, in which we live... Didn't budge. Didn't budge, you know, yeah. um, you could have you, you, you could have put up a tilt of a hun and they would have won uh, won a Labor seat um, uh, in in those days. It got very close. It. Got very close to a tiller on, on several yeah, occasions. Yeah. yeah, there was some strange pre-selections. Yes, but um, but those days are gone. I mean, you know, Melbourne Melbourne's now a green seat. Yeah, it was it was absolutely uh, blue ribbon Labor uh, and not budging. Yeah, not budging now. I mean, um, uh, uh, the old seat of uh, Batman. Um, uh, is uh, held by Labor, but it's a struggle. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, well, back in back back in the early nineties, um, Lindsay Tanner and Julia Giller, Julia Giller had a bit of a ding dong go for the for the pre selection for the seat of Melbourne um, uh, uh, because you know that was that was glad, a, th- glad that didn't pan out uh, either way. And uh, well, well, Lindsay Lindsay ended up winning it, but he was he's. You know, probably quite possibly going to be the last Labor member for Melbourne for a very, very long time. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Julia moved over to Jellybrand where you can pretty much, um, you know, you can rely on it at least for the foreseeable future. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're seeing this. And and look, if we flick over to the other side of politics, we, you know, perhaps there is that sense too. You know, we've been taken for granted for a long time. Uh, the, the Probably the party machine there is... Uh, uh, less than a cricket team in terms of branches, um, some of them quite elderly, let's say, and um, and, uh, and and they might just be feeling, well, you know, we, we live in this safe liberal territory. We, we actually want to have a say in things. I and mean, that might be part of the driving force behind the independent. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah. it's, you know, it, it'll all come out in the wash. That's democracy. It is indeed. It's a it's a it's a mad scientist, Jack. It's a mad scientist, and it'll throw up some throw up some crazy stuff every now and then, and you just you just live with them and you move on. Um, it always throws up the entertaining, and that's important. Well, look, the, the Senate promises to be the usual freak show too. We haven't even talked about the Senate. We'll, we will we'll get to that. We will get to that because <laughs> it's looking very very odd. It was uh, it looks like PT Barnum. Had, it cast an eye across the Senate and go, oh, I could make some money out of these people. Yeah. Um, we haven't got quite enough crazies. Let's see if we can jam a few more <laughs> onto those red seats. Oh, I think I think we can. Yeah. I think it'll happen. Uh, now, look, uh, a regular segment here is the Peter Knock Memorial, when things go wrong on the campaign trail story. And this is week three. And this is a story told by John Faulkner, the Labor stalwart senator, deputy leader of the party, among other things. And John told the story how he was uh, with this wonderful character, the candidate, the candidate for Gilmore, and was elected in the 1993 uh, federal election, Peter Knott, who was a, was a great eccentric in the, in the Labor Party. And um, uh, we talked about how he tried to... Uh, organise a bit of a rah-rah for the media, for the Labor Party, based on its opposition, then opposition to the to uh, John Hewson's GST and teed up a visit uh, for Keating to attend a, um, a, a bakery in Bombala near Nara. And uh, when Keating turned up there, C1 and security and media everywhere, like walked, they walked into the bakers and and the belief that Peter not had teed up the baker to be saying the right thing, the baker turned around and started getting into Keating about payroll tax and all sorts of other things. And from that moment, Peter not became known as the cunt from the pie shop, to Paul Keating, that is. On this occasion, we were in the heat of the campaign in 1993 and the, and the government, the Keating government, had announced a small-ish um, uh, fund had been uh, given to, for, for this, to save, I can't remember the name of the frog, Jack, but we'll call it for the story, the green tree frog. 
and they'd set aside a small amount of money. In those days, it would have been hundreds of thousands, perhaps, uh, not the billions or millions that we talk about in these days, uh, to save the green tree frog, which was indigenous to the south coast in places like Nara, Kayama, and uh, down the coast, um, uh, further down in, in, to the Sapphire Coast, along that way. <clears throat> it's always and, very handy if you can find find some endangered species on your in your electorate. Is, you know, this is why this story is perfect. I don't know if it was endangered or not. It may not have been, but uh, indeed there was being money spent to save this poor frog, and so there was a very small. Uh, there was an announcement to be made, but a very small gathering of local media were the only ones present to witness this. This clearly was not a major issue to drive the news uh, the news cycle for the next 24 hours. So Faulkner was given the job of making the announcement in front of a half a dozen, perhaps, of local media, and, uh, and Peter Knott was by his side as the local candidate, Labor local candidate in Faulkner goes on to make the announcement, uh, a certain amount of money was being spent and so forth. And and he looked around to see uh, if Peter Knott was still at his side, but no, he was gone. Peter Knott had wandered off and, uh, and, and, and Faulkner had to look back. And while the media's filming this, Peter Knott said, I've got one, and <laughs> threw his hand up to say that he'd found one of the uh, one of the endangered frogs. And as he said, said this, he shrieked in triumph. He staggered back and fell ass backwards into an open drain, and that was shot on film only, probably to the Illawarra Mercury and one or two other local news things. Faulkner tells a story and almost cries when he does it. I think yeah. I've got one. Yeah. Anyway, look. So that's Peter Knight, and we, we've got some more. There's more Peter Knight stories, enough to get us through the election campaign. Fantastic stuff. So finally, Jack, uh, Anzac Day. Well, just while we're talking about the media, yeah, and we we're, were talking the other week about um, uh, poor old CNN Plus hitting the hitting the hitting the the skids. Yeah. Um, I think as we're recording this tonight in the UK. Uh, the wonderful Piers Morgan starts his new career oh, yeah. with um, with the Murdoch, um, uh, the evil empire of Murdoch. Um, well, not that evil, Jack. I work for them. <laughs> I know I'm evil. I don't find them evil. I know you I think they're evil. They're all evil. They're all evil. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway. They're all uh, despised. I know that. Um, I... Uh, I couldn't think of a better start to a, a new media career because his first interview is with former President Donald Trump. Mm. And, and of course, Piers, uh, Piers won Celebrity Apprentice or something, so he's an old buddy. Of, yeah, they, well, they were. They were mates. They were old buddies. They had a bit of yeah. a falling out. Yeah, there was a bit of Piers a falling out. Piers decided to, to trash him. Anyway... So, so this is a this is a big get for your first interview on a media yeah. a media a media program, um, but it gets better than that. Piers is leaking um, uh, advanced footage which shows Trump getting the shits and walking out of the <laughs> of is... the interview. And I I thought, is there a better possible oh, start? I mean, how, how many more eyeballs could you possibly get around the world? than having Donald Trump and he walks out. Storming, storming out. Now, for what it's worth, Jack, <laughs> you're right, this footage has been leaked in bits and bobs and I have seen it and, and certainly Donnie is not happy. Uh, he and, says it's a setup, and he didn't, he didn't walk out at all. Yeah, well, um, although, although well he, he certainly gets like to his did. feet. <laughs> he gets to his feet, and he doesn't seem very happy. And he calls Piers Morgan a fool, uh, and uh, and 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 it does look like he's he's gone the full Clive Palmer because Clive Palmer couldn't do an interview um, five, three or four years ago without walking out. You know, you just you used to get used to the fact that he'd be all sounded up. So oh, he'd, he'd I, I, cable, I don't want to think about Chuck Cable running out of shirt. shirt, shirt, off. Off shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you can set your clock by Clive Palmer walking out of an interview, but that is the big one. That is Donald Trump spitting the dummy, uh, and what, what what better way to kick off your uh, 
uh, kick off your new job uh, with Sky News. Uh, the show will be broadcast uh, to, from, from the UK. To yeah, not everyone's cup of tea, Piers, but he does have a certain genius for uh, uh, for attracting eyeballs on on the social media oh, and the he, television. He's, he's just a great niggler. You know, he, he really just does. You know, he's, he's got that great mix of being annoying and watchable. Um, and, and so, yes, I expect and a that to go a really as thick as a rhinoceros. He doesn't care what people <laughs> say about him. <laughs> no, that, and that's you can't do it unless you like that. If you if you start as wondering, oh, perhaps people don't like me, then you're not going to survive in that sort of business. You know, no, you're not. So, what's going no. to happen in Australia? That, that this, this will be broadcast in Australia, I might. Yeah, add, it will be. Yes, I think yeah, it's coming yeah, out this but, week. But, but, but what, what's going to happen in our election campaign for the next week? Well, we're going to have we're going to have virtually we're having a day off today with Anzac Day and, yep, and, and, and as we should. sort of sombre uh, commemorations of, of, uh, of what Anzac Day is all about. And, and a bit of back into it. And I think we really are looking at the intensive, the, the, the campaign intensifying. Um, uh, I think there'll be more and more of the sort of media attacks on, uh, on, the, on the Climate 200 independence because I think, you know, some of the media at last will be coming to the realization that things are things are looking a bit ordinary for the coalition in some of those seats, um, and, and I expect uh, the Labor, uh, I expect the Labor um, um, a team to be out and brown. Jason Clare up the front. Oh yeah, yeah, he's uh, you got to play him at centre half forward. Yeah, you play him at centre half forward. Um, you might, you might, Richard Miles, just give him some time on the pine for a little while. What do you reckon? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah we'll, him, call on, we'll call on you. Call on you when we need you, Richard. You know? Yeah, no, send right. him. Send him to Kiama for the Green Tree Frog uh, announcement. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, look, that sounds about right to me, Jack. Thank you so much for your time today. We look forward to, to presenting our shows as we go. Uh, throughout the election campaign, hard hats and high vis, we call it. And uh, what we'd ask you to do, if you're listening to this and you've got some sort of social media profile, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or whatever it might be, give us a mention. Uh, drop us a link to uh, uh, drop a link out there to your friends and get them to have a listen too. We could promote it. No, I'm an excellent self-promoter, but it doesn't really work very well. So if you could, uh, if you've enjoyed our and our. our our takes on the election campaign, let your friends know uh, through social media. And thanks very much for your time, Jack. We'll talk to you luck. Talk to you next or, week. Or even if you just want to listen to a bit of sledging of Peter Van Onselen, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> we did have a bit of a sledge. Look, yeah. it wasn't. He didn't get it right, did he? I mean, get it right. Yeah.